Are you thankful you are who he says you are? So often the world tries to tell us who we are. The world tries to remind us of our faults and failures and weaknesses, our inabilities. And I'm so thankful we go to God's word and we find out that all those things are true. We are weak. We are frail. We have sinned. But I'm so thankful that when the world wants to define us by those things, God's word says... You are defined by whether you are in or not in Christ. And once you're in Christ, you are defined as a son and a daughter. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean we don't still stumble. But it means those weaknesses no longer define you. We don't stand before God one day and hoping that we're good enough. We stand before God one day as our heavenly father and know that we were not good enough. But his grace was sufficient for us to save us and redeem us. And so we're so thankful for that reality. Not just the concept that we hope is true but a reality of something that's concrete. Uh, this morning, we are continuing in our maze that's when pigs fly. And we uh, did not get through week two last week, but I'm always amazed at how God works things out. Amen? If you've ever been a part of a situation where God was clearly orchestrating something and you just sat back and went and just in awe, God, you're amazing. Uh, last week, we got up to a certain point in our message, and so we're going to review just quickly, and then we'll get into the rest of the content this morning. But God had something in mind for this morning that I was not planning, prepared for, ready for, and I'm so thankful that he orchestrated it this way. And so in just a little bit, we're going to have a testimony from someone that's going to share with us that was not planned until after last week's message and just talking with this individual and just excited to hear what God was doing and how God was speaking. And I thought, Lord, it just, it's, you're amazing how you work this all out. And so we're going to review a little bit. We're going to have this testimony that I'm really excited for you to hear. And then we'll kind of conclude the message this morning. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter three, Ephesians chapter three. We're going to start where we've started the last couple of weeks. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's page 824. Page 824, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats provided to you. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 is where we're going to begin. And again, my goal is that when we finish this series, we'll have a different understanding of the miracles of God, the workings of God. We'll have maybe a different understanding of how we define those things We'll have a different understanding, potentially, of the purpose of those things. But also, one of the side points I hope that we gather from this is the reason I specifically chose this text to kind of be our foundation is I hope that when we finish these four weeks, really five, because if you know me, I can take a four-week sermon series and turn it into an eight-week series and not even blink, okay? It's just what I do. But I hope that this passage from Ephesians 3 will become just so familiar with you, not in a negative sense that, well, I've read that, I know that I'm good, I'm done, which some of us can do. Some of us have gotten to the point in our Christian walk where we've so familiarized ourselves with the Word of God and we've studied the Word of God and we've memorized the Word of God that we've become complacent with the Word of God in our lives. 
we just get to a passage and a pastor starts to open up to a text and we go, oh, I can almost guarantee you he's going to go here and this point and this point and this point and that point and conclude with this and we're done. And we've completely quenched and isolated the Holy Spirit out of working because we just know that we know. And so I'm not trying to suggest that we get to that point with this text, but I pray that we'll begin to even in a way, subtly memorize this text so that when we're going through the course of a day or the course of a week and we get some news or we come across a situation or something happens that we weren't prepared for, we can pause, we can stop, and we can remember by God's moving of the Holy Spirit this passage and be encouraged to know, you know what, God, I'm not in control of this situation. God, I don't know what's going to happen. God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm so thankful that you do. I'm so thankful that you are working things that you can do so much more than I can even imagine and that it's all for your glory and your glory alone. And so I pray that that's kind of one of the side points of this sermon series is that, yes, we'll understand the heart of what we're talking about with miracles and and different aspects of miracles and how God wants to work in our lives today, but that we can be okay with it being different than we think it should be. But another part would be that we become familiar with this text. And so Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able. Everyone say God is able. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all. That's a lot. That's not in the scripture. I just just threw that in there. That's a lot. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask Or think according to the power that works in us, not your power in you, but there's a power that's working in you. And so we have to pause and say, well, what power is that? Well, Acts chapter one, he gives us the spirit of God. It's a power that he gives to us. You shall receive power. And after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is not something we need to ask for after we're saved. When we are saved in Christ, he gives us the spirits indwelling. We are gifted with that spirit. And that spirit begins to work in us. And there's a power there that we can't even understand. He's working in us this power. It says, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. Without all, with, throughout all ages. That means the generation that received this letter firsthand. By the way, could you imagine that? You're sitting in the, the church at Ephesus. And the scripture arrives. And, and they begin to read the words of Paul for the very first time into the church. Just as it was true for those believers in that context. The Bible says... It is without end. That means it is just as true for us today in this church. So the same power that was working in them is the same power working in you. The same desire of God to glorify himself in and through the church is the same desire today. And so we have to start here because we have to remember that God is able, that he is capable. So when we talk about any miracles of any kind, We talked about the miracle of deliverance in our first week, that God delivers us through Christ from sin by giving us deliverance from self and from the external enemy of Satan, that we are delivered from those two 
forces that would desire to pull at us and control us and manipulate us and push us into doing things that would dishonor our God. Or if it's the miracles we started talking about last week, the miracle of healing. In either case of miracles, God is the one who is able to work. We did not deliver ourselves. We did not decide, you know what, I'm just tired of Satan. I'm just going to overcome him real quick. I'm going to have victory over him real quick. Let me just give me a minute. By willpower and positive thinking. And, you know, I read this really great book about seven steps to blah, blah, blah. There's always seven steps to something nowadays, it seems like. I'm too impatient for seven steps. I'm waiting for the three-step process. Like, give me three steps and then, you know, it's amazing how often we forget that it wasn't us that saved us. And it's amazing how quickly we forget what we were saved from. I wasn't really that bad of a person. That's fine. You're still wretched. You were still destined for hell and God intervened and you received Christ and now you're set for heaven. You didn't have to be a quote bad person in your eyes to deserve hell and punishment because you are born in sin. And see, so often we forget that. It is his power working in us. It is not our power working in us. And so when we talk about miracles as a whole, we have to understand he is able. But specifically, we talked about the miracle of healing. And as I said last week, this subject may be sensitive for you. It might be a tough subject for you to walk through. And let me just say at the very onset, again, God's shoulders are big enough for you to go to and vent and say all that you're feeling and all that your heart is saying and expressing. God is not in heaven going, oh, no, don't you bring that to me. He wants us to be real and genuine before him. And in this area, I know it is a tough topic to walk through. It's been tough in my life at times, and I know it's been tough in yours as a follower of Christ. There's a biblical truth we must understand as we understand the miracle of healing. And I believe this is throughout all of Scripture, but specifically we're going to look at some, or we looked at some examples in the New Testament last week. And so if you missed last week, you can check it out online. You can get all the stuff that I'm not going to have time to review this morning. So a biblical truth we must understand when thinking about the idea of miracles of healing. And we said this last week, first and foremost, Our God heals. That's a biblical truth we have to be okay with. Our God heals. Nothing is impossible for him. No diagnosis is too difficult. The word terminal means nothing to our God. There's nothing impossible for our God. I mean, just let's be real for a second here. And I'm not going to, I don't think this would embarrass her. If it does, she'll just yell at me later and that's fine. I'm good. We have somebody sitting in our church right now that a year ago we didn't think we would see again. When Judy Hodges was taken to the hospital, we were getting phone calls and texts like, this could be the last time you get to talk to her. Family was being called. Prayer chain was just blowing up with people praying, God, would you work in this? And by God's gracious initiative, and I I would say this, and well, she went to the hospital. She, no, no. Do you know why a doctor can provide medical treatment for somebody? Because God gave that person the wisdom to do that. And so by God's gracious initiative, through the working of human beings that are willing to surrender themselves to that field, and he gave wisdom and guidance and all of that, she's sitting in church today and has been for the last year. Praise God. And I'm so thankful that our God heals. Now, you may wonder, well, what about this? And what about that? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we have to be okay with realizing our God is able to heal. 
Psalm 139, 13. We're not going to turn there, but you can jot it down. The Bible makes it clear that God knitted us together in our mother's womb. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. The word knitted or covered in the King James means to weave together. So God, in his great wisdom, weaves together us in our mother's womb. God weaves, as an artist weaves a tapestry, he weaves us together with great care and great purpose. So if that is our God, and if he knitted you and formed you in your mother's womb, he's that powerful, and he knows you that intimately, is there anything really he can't do with us physically? But God, I can't speak while I stutter. Well, Moses, who made your mouth? Job complaining about all that he went through. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? God is able. God heals. It's a biblical truth. Our God heals. But as we said last week, the statement doesn't stop there. Our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone every time. Our God heals but he doesn't heal everyone every time. We looked at some examples, even in the New Testament, where Paul, rather than healing someone, gave medical advice. He gave a medical treatment. In one case, he says, I left him sick in Miletus. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. He doesn't say, I healed him. He says, I left him sick. See, our God heals But he doesn't heal everyone every time. And we should say sometimes he heals that side of heaven, not this side of heaven. When someone is not healed this side of heaven, it is not because God can't. I've known many amazing followers of Christ that have prayed and been prayed for, for healing. Only for them to pass from this life and enter into his presence. And the question we have to ask, if we're being honest, and the question many of us have asked, and it's okay to ask this question is why? Why? In the New Testament, why does John the Baptist, who's thrown into prison, lose his head, literally, and is martyred? And Jesus is on planet Earth. He's in, he could stop it. And he chooses not to. And yet Peter, who said more foolish things at the wrong time than maybe any other apostle, is thrown into prison in the book of Acts, he's delivered. So, so why did John lose his head but Peter be delivered? Why, God? Why, why would you do it this way? And why would you let that happen that way? And why don't you do things the way I can understand them? Really what we're saying is, God, why aren't you an on-demand God that does what I want when I want when I tell you to do it? See, we have a hard time wrestling with this truth. It's okay to wrestle with it. It's okay to admit that we're wrestling with it, but we have to step back and say, God, I don't know why, but I do know that you are working your plan, that you are doing something that I'll never understand. I know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we covered a lot of this last week. And after covering this, I had a conversation with Lynn Atwell. And it just blessed my heart to hear how God was working. And so I'm going to have Lynn come and she's going to join us on the platform here. I wasn't sure if I should tell Terry to come up here too. He's He's supporting you from the the chair. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, here he comes. Look at that. What a guy. What a guy. 
There you go. I'm going to give you that. And so I asked Lynn uh, to just share for a few moments uh, a little bit about their story. And many of you maybe know their story, maybe you don't. But I want them to share and just kind of speak to how God has worked in their life through their situation in this reality of what we're talking about this morning. Hi. Many of you know um, Terry and I, our story and the boys. We've had two boys pass away from a disease called Barth's syndrome, which all three boys have had. And praise God, Josh is doing well. Today, I'm going to refer to Jeremy, our youngest. In October 1994, he had a heart attack that put him on a ventilator and rendered him unconscious. At the time, Terry and I and the boys were all saved, and I prayed with all my heart, believing God could do anything, that God would heal Jeremy The way it worked out, though, was not what I was thinking, and Jeremy passed away. At first, I was so angry and frustrated and confused that I told God so. I knew that I knew what God could do, but in my mind, he had let me down. Even in my anger, though, I could feel God with me as if he was saying, You're just hurting. It's going to be okay. Watch me now. To make a long story short, God started picking up pieces of my broken heart and helped me me put them back together. He helped me realize he did heal Jeremy 100% completely and took him home where he will never be sick or hurting again. God blessed us so much at this time with good friends, hugs, love, and family that was there to support us emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He also gave us so much strength to get through the grief that I had friends telling me they were a better parent because of what they had seen God do in our life. And I think... The miracle was how God grew my heart and Terry's heart and our family and really made us realize how much we can trust him. I have learned that miracles may not always happen the way we think they should, but God definitely still makes miracles happen. And sometimes we don't even see them because They don't look like what we thought they would be. Um, And yet, God's way is always so much better. I thought Jeremy getting better would be the greatest miracle But it turned out that God was growing my heart, love, and faith so much greater for his glory. And all along the way has placed precious blessings such as babies and friends and elderly people and family 
to continually work on our healing, to continually work on healing me and to show his goodness and knowing I will see my boys again is undoubtedly the greatest blessing. I can say one thing um, regarding this. Do I believe in miracles? Absolutely, I believe in miracles. Even though the Lord took our son, I'll never forget the pastor coming up. Uh, We went to a different church at that time. And he said, there's 25 people that raised their hand and give their life to the Lord. There was no space in the church. See, we look at this life as this is all there is, you know. No, this is, this is like three seconds compared to eternity. And so God opened my eyes and let me see that what we do in this life matters a lot. But this life is so fleeting and so quick, but eternity's forever and ever and ever. And out of those 25 people, two of my brothers, one's with the Lord as we speak, give their lives to the Lord. That's a big deal. That's a miracle. I'm a miracle because he saved my soul. And if he can save my soul, there's nobody out there that the Lord cannot save. And not every church, Pastor John, preaches the word of God. You do, and we're so appreciative. God bless you all. Thank you. Amen. God is good. Amen. So you see why God orchestrated this morning for his glory. Uh, It was not planned. Last week, Lynn made a couple comments to me and just how God was working. And I thought, would you be willing to share that with the church? And I said, uh, then I said, let me rephrase that. Would you be willing to pray about sharing that with the church? (laughs) And then she said, you know what? I'll do it. I was like, that's awesome. So thank you guys so much for sharing your heart. Appreciate that. Um, I, I know many of us. Maybe not the exact situation, obviously, but maybe many of us have prayed similar prayers, have asked God to do things. God, how could this not be your will? And God, do something different. And so I'm so thankful that we can trust and know that he is good even when we don't understand. I want to continue this morning. I'm going to kind of wrap up last week's message. And what I want to do is look at just a couple instances we see in Scripture as to why God may choose Not to heal this side of heaven, but to heal that side of heaven. And I want to say again, this is not an exhaustive list. This are just some examples we see in scripture. I also want to say again that um, I'm not saying definitively that if you had somebody in your life that you prayed to be healed that wasn't, that it's specifically one of these things. I don't know that. I'm not God. But I believe we can look in the scripture and see some examples of why maybe God would allow someone to be healed that side of heaven instead of this side of heaven. And so I thought what we could do is look at kind of three reasons that Jesus restricted miracles, three reasons Jesus restricted miracles. And now a couple weeks back, a few weeks back, we looked through the gospel of Mark. And as we went through the series on the gospel of Mark, which again, if you missed it, you can get that online. 
but we went through the Gospel of Mark, and we, we went to a passage that dealt with one of these areas, and we unpacked it a little bit. So if you want a little more on that one, you can go back and watch Mark and see more about it. But I want to look at this because I want to give us some, some ideas on how we can have a piece about this maybe or an understanding to even encourage others if we can. So three reasons that Jesus restricted miracles. The first thing we see here is that Jesus refused to perform miracles to prove himself as a show. Jesus refused to perform miracles to prove himself as a show. Uh, What do we mean here? We mean that Jesus performed miracles, yes, to prove that he was divine, to show that he was the son of God, but he did not do miracles to prove himself to unbelievers who were looking for a show. Basically, we want to be entertained, Jesus. Do another magic trick, Jesus. Entertain us some more. And Jesus finally said, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm not going to continue to jump through these hoops because you just demand it. Because God isn't subject to our demands. He's, he's not someone we can just call up and go, okay, now jump through that hoop. He's not a genie that we just rub the lamp and he does three wishes. Often the religious leaders of Jesus' day wanted Jesus to prove himself to them. Not because they wanted to follow him. This is key. Not because they wanted to follow him, but because their hearts were hard toward him and they just wanted to catch him or trap him or trip him up. And you remember the story about the man that was healed of blindness and the Pharisees drag him in and they're just grilling him, asking him question after question. Wait, now who did this and why did he do this? And he answers them, then he answers them again. And finally he gets so frustrated with them. I love this. And by the way, he even admits, he says, I don't even know really who Jesus is. I just know that I couldn't see and now I can see. I just know that I was blind and now I'm no longer blind. And so I don't really know who he is, but he did this great work and I I put faith in that. And they were asking him and asking him and finally he says, let me ask you, he says, why do you keep asking me? Do you want to be his disciple as well? And I love that. They were trying to trap him and trick him and they were grilling this guy and finally he goes, okay, listen, you keep asking me. Are you asking me because you want to follow him? Do you want to be one of his disciples? And they get so irate. They kick him out of the synagogue. They kick him out. But I love that story also because Jesus went and found him and sat with him and revealed to him who he really was. You see, so often in the word of God, people were challenging Jesus and wanting him to just show off and just do another magic trick. And Jesus finally said, no, I'm not going to do that. Mark chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. You can jot it down. Mark chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign shall be given it. He kept coming and testing him and he knew their hearts. And he said, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to just jump through hoops for unbelievers who really don't want to know me. Your hearts are hard. Like, I know your hearts. And so one of the reasons that Jesus restricted miracles was he refused to jump through the hoops to show the unbelievers a sign, just to show them a sign. He knew their unbelief, and he knew it would not change anything. It's amazing to me how God works individually, not only just collectively. So one of the reasons Jesus refused or restricted to do his miracles was because he did not want to prove himself 
Another reason that Jesus restricted miracles is Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. We have a hard time believing that it could be God's will or plan that someone not be healed. We wrestle with that in our human understanding, again, as was shared this morning. But my inability to understand does not change the truth of God's word. If God's ultimate plan is different than I'm praying, then he will not accomplish or do what I'm asking him to do. And isn't that what Jesus said? You can ask anything in my name according to my Father's will, and I will do it. See, so often we pray prayers and we believe it's God's will, and then God goes a different way. And we have to be okay with saying, I'm not God. Maybe God's will was different. What an amazing story of 25 individuals placing their faith and trust in Christ at the funeral. Did you catch that? Two of those individuals, Terry's brothers. And we wonder, God, how could it possibly not be your plan to heal them? And then God works. And God does what only God can do. And we have to stop and say, God, your plan was different. We see this also in the ministry of Christ in regards to his prayer in the garden. What was his prayer in the garden? If there be any other way, let this cup pass for me. What was the answer to that prayer request? No, there is no other way. But the key there was this. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. And that's an example for us to say we can have that same faith. In the ministry of Paul, in regards to his thorn in the flesh, how many times did he pray for that to be removed? Three times he prayed. And what was the answer to that prayer? What was the answer that God gave to Paul, the Apostle Paul, who planted churches, who wrote a third of the New Testament, who traveled over 10,000 miles by foot preaching the gospel? He says, Lord, would you just remove this thorn in the flesh? I would be a better preacher, a better minister if you would just remove this. And what is God's answer? My grace is sufficient. You know what that is a really spiritual way of saying? No. It's not my will, Paul. You see, that, that thorn in the flesh accomplished something in the ministry of Paul and in the person of Paul that needed to be there. It was able to keep him humble. Isn't that what the Bible says? I love the message. The message transla- or paraphrases that portion of Scripture this way. Paul says, it was given to me that I wouldn't get a big head. That I wouldn't get boastful in my revelations. By the way, if God was revealing to you a third of the New Testament, don't you think he'd be tempted to be a little prideful? Someone's going on about their raise at work or their career, and you're like, oh, that's really nice. God speaks to me directly. It's his word. I write it down. It's going to be for generations. (laughs) But tell me more about your Lexus. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Do you see how God is saying, Paul, I know you don't get this, but my grace is sufficient. And I love that phrase because when we don't understand how his will could be different, we do understand his grace. We understand his grace is with us, sustaining us in the midst of chaos or what seems, I should say, as chaos. God never, God never will do anything in disagreement with his own will. How about those recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 11? 
Now, this isn't exactly miracles of healing, but you understand the principle here. They wandered about afflicted, fearful. They didn't have worldly possessions. They lived in caves. They were under threat of great persecution, even were killed for their faith. And yet the Bible says the world was not worthy of them. So these are individuals that have a faith in God that suffered greatly. And I guarantee you, they prayed even greatly to say, Lord, would you deal with this? And seemingly God doesn't change the circumstance. You see, Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. I asked the question a little bit ago, why is it that John the Baptist was beheaded, but Peter was delivered? Because God's will and God's glory was revealed by allowing John to be persecuted and to be martyred and by allowing Peter to be set free from prison. And I don't understand all the details of why, but I do understand if it's God's will and God allowed that to take place, then I trust that he is still good. You see, God is God. He is sovereign. And he knows what the best for his glory will be. And so we must trust that by faith. So Jesus refused or restricted miracles because he would not prove himself. He wasn't going to put on a show for the hard-hearted unbelievers. Also, Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. And lastly, another thing we see in Scripture is God, or Jesus rather, restricted his miracles where there was no faith. Where there was no faith. Matthew chapter 13. Let's go there just for a moment. Matthew chapter 13. Last verse of Matthew 13. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's page 682. Page 682, if you're using a Bible provided, Matthew chapter 13, simple verse. I debated about whether to even have us turn here and rather just read it to you. But I want us to see these words for ourselves. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. And it says here, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now we have to step back from this passage for a second because we, we need to read it and see it as truth, but we have to kind of make sure we put it in the context of what we're talking about. Notice it says he did not many mighty works. Mark's gospel records that he was in his hometown and he restricted his miracles and he could not do the works, the mighty works that he had done previously in other places. But then it says, but he did heal a few. It says he couldn't do the mighty works, but he healed a few. And I said it in our Mark series, only our God could heal a few and it not be considered mighty works or the mighty works he was intending to do if they would believe. And so here we see that Jesus restricted his miracles where there was no faith or belief. Now we have to understand Jesus does not cease to be God based on us. Jesus was not stopped from working in these moments. He restricted his works in the face of unbelief, but for his own purpose and his own reason. It was not like Jesus was walking along bound and hindered by the faith or lack of faith of humanity, of humanity to demonstrate his deity. Jesus was not going, man, I really want to do it, but I can't because they're not letting me. No, he, in the face of their unbelief, restricted his own miracle working and for his own purpose 
and reason. God is not bound to us to only do what we allow him to do. But God, in this New Testament, through the person of Jesus Christ, we see that he did restrict his miracles based on the unbelief or lack of faith among those that he was working with. We also see Jesus emphasized faith in a good way, in a positive way, when faith was involved in the performance of miracles. I'll give you three examples, three little statements you can jot down just to show this. Mark chapter 5, verse 34 Daughter, your faith has healed you. Luke chapter 17, verse 19. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Mark 10, 52. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. You see, here we see Jesus emphasizing faith of those that received a miracle. And then we also see Jesus emphasizing restriction of his miracles because of the unbelief of those he was among. And so we have to stop and say, okay, so what's going on here? We already determined that it's not Jesus being bound to humanity, but Jesus choosing in the face of unbelief among an audience or a crowd or an individual to restrict a miracle, where in other cases, when that person would cry out in faith, Jesus would respond with performing a miracle. Now, this doesn't mean perfect faith. We talked about this again back in Mark. What about the father who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, Jesus encouraged that as a statement of faith. That's not the same example we see here in Matthew where it was a hardness of hearts. If you remember back in the Mark's gospel, they wanted him to leave. They didn't want him there. They didn't want to believe. They couldn't wrap their minds around Jesus being who Jesus said he was. You see, faith put into action for us in prayer But in Jesus' day, crying out to him in person or directly is important and vital to seeing God work in our lives. Not that God will refuse to work otherwise, as Lynn stated, but I believe we will not see God work if we are hard heart or we even as believers are choosing to not allow our minds to drift and cry out to him in humbleness. Faith put into action through prayer for us or in Jesus' day crying out to him is directly important to humbling us and pointing out to us the knowledge that we can do nothing on our own. This leads us to deepening, or I'm sorry, depending on Christ for all we need, deepening our reliance on him. Now, let me again, and I'm not trying to confuse you guys, but I want us to walk this out practically. This is not on the other side of this where there's movements today and comments being made today that, that your faith or the lack thereof directly means why your loved one wasn't healed. Where people have told people, well, if you would just pray harder and pray longer and have more faith, they would have been healed. I mean, did you hear what Lynn said when they were talking about him being in the hospital? Man, we prayed And we believed that God could heal. And we believed he was going to heal. You see, some in Christianity today will tell you that if you just have enough faith, God will always heal. And I love the sentiment of that. Because God is able, but I just can't seem to find it in Scripture. Where he heals every time. Where he says yes every time. And again, Do we think the Apostle Paul had faith? 
Do you think the Apostle Paul had faith that God could? Paul writes Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. He says, God is able. And yet God still, in his sovereignty, chose to answer a prayer of Paul's with no. You see, we got to be careful in this area. Because I think there's a lot of people with maybe great intentions that are misconstruing faith, misconstruing what God will do. And I think when that happens, we end up with two outcomes. If you've been taught that God will always heal if you have enough faith, and then reality sets in and God's will is separate and different and God chooses not to heal, you're only left with two outcomes. Either you didn't have enough faith and it's your fault. So that's going to wreck your walk with Christ and cause you to feel discouraged and maybe even walk away from the Lord or desire to walk away from church. Or the other side of it is you've been taught that if you have enough faith that God can, you know you have enough faith, so then God must just not want to, and therefore God just doesn't care. And I don't want a relationship with that God. You see, when you teach people one thing, it leads them to come to logical conclusions of what does that look like in my life. But what do we see in Scripture? In Scripture we see we need to believe that God is able And I think when we believe that God is able, it pushes us to cry out to him and ask him to do what only he can do. And we grow in our faith, not because he did what we said, but because we spent time before him in his presence and growing in our relationship with him so that he might shape our hearts to think and feel more like he does and he would. You see, we said it last week, but we need a reminder. Our faith is not based on what God does. Our faith is based on who God is. And there are times we're going to pray in faith, believing God can, knowing God can, asking God to, believing it's his will, and God does something different. And then we just have to stop and say, God, I still believe that you are good. I still believe your will is being accomplished. So we need to believe. We need to know that he can and humble ourselves before him, asking him to do what only he can do, crying out to him, being honest with him. But when God allows or does something outside of our understanding, we have faith that his will is greater. So I'm sure this morning, you most likely have strong emotions about this area in your walk with Christ. As maybe you've lost someone that you prayed for and cannot understand why God would choose not to heal. Wherever you are this morning in this area, I want to ask you to respond. Uh, We are going to have a time of invitation in just a couple of minutes. And and when we do, the band's going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. And I, I just want to ask you, if you've at all in your Christian life experienced this this back and forth, this pull, this tug of, God, I know you can, but you didn't. I don't know why. Maybe you would come and say, God, give me wisdom in this, that I would trust you and your will to be greater. Maybe you want to come and pray for a loved one that is battling something right now. And you're like, Lord, I believe you can. I have faith you can. I believe it's your will to heal them. And I'm asking you to do this. But your will be done. And maybe you'd come and pray for healing in someone's life. Or maybe even in your own life. Maybe you'd come and say, God, God, I need your healing in my life. I'm going through this sickness. I'm going through this disease. I'm going through this situation. Lord, I just need you to work. I believe you can. And I pray it's your will. But your will be done. But maybe you'd come and pray and and say, God, I've seen, as was shared this morning, I've seen how 
your will was different, but you worked greater things than I could ever imagine through that, that time of saying no to one prayer. And maybe you'd come and pray and say, God, I pray that I'd be aware enough to look at the situations I'm in and say and see, God, this is how you're working. God, now I see what you're doing. Or maybe you're in a position where you're not seeing it yet. You've lost someone, you prayed for, you had faith, you believed, but God's will was different, and you're not seeing why yet. Maybe your testimony is different. Maybe at the funeral, 25 people didn't raise their hand, and you're like, God, I don't get it. Maybe you're in that place where you just don't see the purpose yet, but that doesn't mean there isn't a purpose. It just means you're not aware of it yet. And the reality is you may never be until you stand in his presence and then... When we see him and we're like him, we'll have wisdom and we'll go, now I see. Now I understand. Wherever you are in this situation, this moment in your life with this area of healing, I pray that you'd come and pray and respond and ask God to work in your life and in the lives of others. But I'd also ask you to make sure that you're praying, God, your will be done. Remember, your faith in him is not in his ability to heal. Your faith in him is not in his ability to heal. Your faith in him is in him because he declares who he is in his word. He is your creator. He is your God. You have realized your sin. You've confessed your sin. You've believed that he in the personal work of Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, was buried and rose again, and you believe and receive that salvation. And now you are a son and daughter of God. And so your faith is not in God's ability to heal. Your faith is in who God declares himself to be. And now you just surrender your life to him and say, Lord, I want to live for you. And there's times where I'm going to see you answer prayers with yes. And you're going to heal and we're going to rejoice. And Lord, there's times where you're going to answer a prayer with no. And that person will be taken and be in your presence. And we rejoice that your will was accomplished. And whatever God is doing in this area, I would invite you to come and to pray and to ask God to work. Father, as we bow in prayer, we ask that, Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord, I pray for these in this audience today and those watching online. I know, humanly speaking, Lord, this is, this is such a difficult subject for, for so many, myself included at times. Lord, we know that you can heal. And we know that you have and will continue to be a God who heals. But Lord, also, we see that you are a God that chooses not to heal everyone every time. And Lord, I know that as followers of Christ, we've placed our faith and trust in you. And when we pray, we pray in faith. Not perfect faith, honest faith. We believe, but we also know there's areas of unbelief and we confess that to you as well. But Lord, there are times in our lives where we are going to pray in faith, believing in a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, then you're going to do something different. Lord, I pray that when those moments happen, that we would trust you and know that you are good. Father, I pray for the one or maybe more here today that has lost a loved one. Father, we've all gone through hardships like that. So, Father, I pray that your grace would be for them today, that they would realize that you're with them, 
that you're drawing them into that deeper relationship, that they would know you more, that your mercy and your presence would satisfy them. And Father, for the one or more here today, that Lord, that are in need of healing, I pray that you would bring healing. I pray that you would touch them and heal their bodies whole. Because Lord, there is nothing you cannot do. And we believe that. And so Father, in all these things, we ask for your wisdom, your guidance. Help us to know you more today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we're led in a song of invitation, would you respond? Maybe you want to come and pray for somebody that's struggling in their health this morning. You want to pray and ask God, God, I know you can heal. I'm praying you heal this person. Maybe you want to come for a different reason. Whatever it is, would you respond to what he's doing this morning as we pray?